Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Cross Time podcast. I'm your primary host, Karsten. Uh, again, unfortunately, I'm not joined by a co-host tonight, uh, but we do have uh, a good show planned for you tonight. Uh, as promised in yesterday's little short PSA um, announcement, mini episode, whatever you want to call it. But we are back to kind of wrap up the the weekday action and help get you prepped for the weekend Uh and, of course, everything that will come with the weekend as far as games uh, to watch out for and more. So, firstly, let's jump right into things. We're going to have a little bit more to cover once again with game summaries. Uh, again, simply because we missed yesterday's show and being able to summarize less games. But we have a lot to talk about with the game summaries, so we'll waste no more time. We'll get right into that. Firstly, we'll talk very briefly about the two games we did not cover on Wednesday's show the shows, excuse me, the games from Wednesday night. We had two games that we were not able to talk about since they were still finishing up at the time we finished that episode. Uh, first of these, the Los Angeles Clippers were able to beat the Los Angeles Lakers. Sorry, the LA Clippers. I forget that they specify. They're the LA Clippers, not the Los Angeles Clippers. Regardless, the LA Clippers uh, beat the Los Angeles Lakers at home as the Clippers were determined the home team, even though they both play in this same arena, but the Clippers were the home team. The visiting, quote-unquote, Lakers lost. Uh, LeBron exited the game during the fourth quarter. Uh, Looking at the uh, game charts and box score, the Clippers got an early lead, and the Lakers, I actually did catch some of this, Lakers stormed back in that second quarter to, to bring it close. Clippers retook the lead. Lakers came back. Clippers retook the lead again. They took the lead for that third time at the beginning of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, and the Clippers would not relinquish that lead uh, and probably did not help that they lost. uh, The Lakers lost LeBron uh, in the fourth quarter. So that helped kind of seal the deal for the Clippers' victory. Looking at the box score, uh, LeBron led the charge for the Lakers until he left 30 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals. Um, and pretty solid percentages. Again, it's just remarkable to think that this is a guy in his 20th season doing something hugely unprecedented for someone with his much, you know, as much NBA experience and age uh, as he has. Uh, of course, I'm sure you've seen the, the Nike commercials, him against Father Time uh, being played by Jason Momoa, but those, it's a good point. You know, what he's doing at his age is unbelievable. Anthony Davis had a decent game alongside LeBron, 21 points, 9 rebounds, uh, percentages serviceable. Uh, unfortunately, they did not get a ton of scoring help outside of that. Troy Brown had an okay-ish game. Westbrook with 14 off the bench. Meanwhile, the Clippers, again, aided by Paul George, who's had a great run for them in the these last week or two uh, of games, this last week or two of games, uh, 29 points. Six rebounds, four assists on the defensive end, too. Of course, we've seen Paul George more often than not very solid on the defensive end. Two blocks and a steal in this game. Only two of seven from three, but regardless, still able to lead the charge. Uh, The rest of the starters all scored in double figures, uh, and Norman Powell gave them 18 points off the bench as well to lead a balanced attack and help them win against the Lakers 114 to 101. So that was the first of two games we were not able to talk about on Wednesday night. The other one... Uh, the Kings surprise everyone. Uh, I don't know, 
the Sacramento Kings are able to win at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers, 127 to 120. Uh, Kings led big through most of this game. The Cavs made a push through the fourth quarter, but then the Kings rallied back, were able to seal the deal. Um, looking at the box score for this one, um, Donovan Mitchell, again, high scoring, 38 points, still pretty pretty great efficiency as far as percentages. Levert, 21 points, 10 rebounds. Jared Allen adds 20 points of his own. Um, and Evan Mobley, 16 those four all doing a great job. Um, Garland chipped in eight assists. So the team played fairly well in that regard. Um, there was not a great wealth of three-point shooting outside of Donovan Mitchell. Um, their percentages weren't bad, but it just seems the Kings were maybe a little bit more determined to, to build their momentum. They started to kind of accrue over the last game or two. Uh, Darren Fox, 15 points, eight assists, three steals. Uh, Sabonis, the leading scorer for Sacramento with 21 points. They have seven scores in double figures. Harrison Barnes scored 20 of his own. And uh, Sacramento, very balanced effort, able to beat the Cavaliers at home, uh, the Sacramento at home against the Cavaliers. So those are the two games from Wednesday's slate. Let's jump over to Thursday. Thursday night, we had um, how many games? We had a, uh, about four games on Thursday night. Firstly, the Washington Wizards won at home against the Dallas Mavericks, 113 to 105. Uh, Again, let's check out what we can see from the game charts. Dallas led through the first half. Washington took it over in the second half. Um, Your box score numbers, uh, Luka, 22 and 9, not terribly efficient from the floor. Spencer Dinwiddie led the charge for them offensively, though, with 33 points. Hardaway Jr., Tim Hardaway Jr. with 16 points off the bench. Otherwise, uh, not a great wealth of offense for Dallas. Meanwhile, Washington led by Kyle Kuzma, 36 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. Stellar game from Kuzma, uh, aided by 23 from Rui Hachimura off the bench. Um, And three other scorers in double figures. Washington able to edge Dallas at home in Washington, uh, sporting those city jerseys. And again, we will, um, not again, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit in our news segment, the, the new uniforms. Uh, next, the Atlanta Hawks won at home against the Philadelphia 76ers, 104-95. to um, Let's check out that game chart, see what we're looking at. Uh, Hawks led the way throughout. Uh, and pulled away big in the fourth quarter there. Uh, for the Sixers, Embiid doing his usual stuff, 26 points, 13 rebounds, um, decent percentages, although 0 for 3 from three-point range. Tobias Harris only 12, uh, and it looks like James Harden did not play in this game. Not sure if he has, uh, if it was a rest or some sort of minor injury. Regardless, uh, Maxi adds 15 of his own. They don't get a great deal of scoring outside of those players. Meanwhile, for the Hawks, Clint Capella, 18 points, 20 rebounds. Huge effort from him. Uh, Trey Young adds 26 points. Uh, not great percentages, but regardless, uh, four other scorers in double figures, uh, including Onyeko Okungwu, 10 points and 11 rebounds and two blocks off the bench in 21 minutes. Very efficient uh, for them. The two bigs, the two centers there, playing great. And again, Atlanta wins 104 to 95. Uh, 
this next one was an overtime game. Uh, the Miami Heat at home beat the Charlotte Hornets 117 to 112. Um, and this game, the Heat led big throughout. The Hornets made a big push in the fourth and actually took the lead a couple of times, but then Miami able to uh, to win late and in over uh, in overtime, excuse me, they were able to take lead in overtime. Of course, that game was tied at one point to then go to overtime. Uh, for the box score, Kelly Oubre Jr. leads the way for Charlotte, 29 points, seven rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a block. Uh, pretty solid percentages as well. Mason Plumlee adds 13 points, 15 rebounds. Rozier with 22 points as well. Some pretty solid offense for the Hornets, although as a team, they were not incredible from the uh, from the floor as far as percentages. Uh, Miami, though, Jimmy Butler leads the charge there, 35 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, uh, doing one of his, you know, the games he's more capable of on a, a more consistent basis, or you'd like to think that, you know, sometimes he tends to average more, you know, mid-20 scoring and solid rebounds, solid assists, while he could maybe be higher scoring, higher rebounding, you know, but regardless, the team able to get the win, so that uh, that's all that matters. Bam out of bio, 18 points, 14 boards, four assists, two steals, uh, and four other scores for them in double figures. So uh, Butler essentially outduels Ubre as they're able to pull away in overtime to win that game. Uh, real quick, let me check just one thing. Um, okay, perfect. Never mind. So last game from that Thursday slate, that four-game Thursday slate, the Portland Trailblazers on the road beat the New Orleans Pelicans in New Orleans, 106 to 95. Um, for that box score, New Orleans, uh, it was a little bit back and forth. New Orleans led a beginning. Portland takes it back. In the second quarter, New Orleans takes a big, solid lead. Uh, Portland takes it back in the third, and Portland then runs away and uh, expands that lead in the fourth quarter to seal the game. Um, checking out the box score for the Pelicans, Zion Williamson, 29 points, six boards, three assists. Pretty solid percentages across the board. That's great to see, especially a guy who's still kind of working his way back from injury. That's huge for them. Uh, 11 boards for Valanciunas. Only 14 from Brandon Ingram. Uh, of course, he's a great scorer. You expect him to average a little more. So for us to say only 14 is a little bit unfair because it's still points, but you you know, you know he's capable of so much more. Uh alongside those two three other scorers and double figures. Meanwhile for the Portland Trailblazers, they are led in this game, they were led in this game by Jeremy Grant, 27 points, filled up the stat sheet, eight boards, four assists, four steals and a block. Pretty great percentages overall. Uh Anthony Simons added 23 points of his own on uh rougher percentages, but still got the job done. Uh Three other guys, 12 points or more, and Portland won that one on the road in New Orleans. So that was the Thursday slate. Tonight's games, now we're a little bit more caught up. Uh, let's check things out. Firstly, the Denver Nuggets. Well, actually, let me refresh this here and make sure we're doing the right way. Yes, okay. The Denver Nuggets uh, lost on the road in Boston to the Boston Celtics. Won, uh, the Celtics won that game 131-112. to 112. Uh, let's check out what we're looking at with this game. Uh, game charts. 
Boston led pretty big throughout the most of the game. Uh, and it looks like Tatum continued to lead that charge. He's had a great start to games. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about him more at some point. Uh, Denver, Jokic, 29 points, did his thing. Bruce Brown, 16 points, 10 boards off the bench. Uh, Murray still trying to find his rhythm, although he did have 10 assists. Meanwhile, for Boston, 34 for Tatum, 25 for Brown, 21 from Horford. And uh, all those guys chipping in with boards, assists, you know, the defense there, uh, Sam Hauser with two blocks, you know. And Tatum and Brown, again, leading the charge for the Celtics team. Big win for them against the Nuggets. They continue to build up momentum in the Eastern Conference. Big win for them. Next, the Orlando Magic at home against the Phoenix Suns. They're able to continue some momentum of their own. 114-97, to especially for the Suns, a team reeling from some injury issues. Um, For Phoenix, Cameron Payne still doing very well in his uh, relief role. Um, His kind of backup quarterback, if you will, backup point guard. In this case, for Chris Paul, he scored 22 points, uh, four assists, a steal. Uh, in this one, solid percentages. Booker only 17, struggled from the floor a little bit by his standards. Uh, did not get a wealth of scoring otherwise. Meanwhile, for Orlando, uh, Bancaro did not play in this game. Interesting. Wendell Carter Jr., 20 points, 10 boards. Bull Bull, 13 points, 15 boards. Uh, in that starting role, he's had some some noteworthy games and he's getting a bit more of a chance to show what he's capable of exciting things to see there uh Wagner and Suggs starting in that backcourt playing a little bit bigger backcourt with Wagner as a guard there uh so Wagner and Suggs 17 and 16 respectively 14 from Terrence Ross off the bench and Orlando just helped by home court advantage um a little bit better momentum less injuries uh kind of a combination of all those things Maybe some more than others, but regardless, they get the win against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the New York Knicks won at home against the Detroit Pistons, 121 to 112. Um, Detroit, it was a little bit back and forth in the first, first quarter, but then uh, New York took a bit of a lead and they were able to build that lead in the second quarter and led for the rest of the game. For Detroit, uh, Bogdanovich, 25 points. Uh, although he missed all five of his three-point attempts. Um, otherwise, they did have seven other guys in double figures scoring. Uh, they were without the services of Cade Cunningham in this game. Jaden Ivey only 10 points. Meanwhile, for New York, uh, ooh, we got another big three type game for them, if you want to call R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Jalen Brunson their quote-unquote big three. 30 from R.J. Barrett. Uh, 21 from Julius Randle and 26 from Jalen Brunson uh, combined. Real quick math. That's 77 points for that three. Uh, those three players. Hartenstein, 12 boards in his starting center role. Uh, not a great depth of uh, bench scoring, but regardless, uh, New York able to win at home in Madison Square Garden. Uh, next, the... Oklahoma City Thunder won at home against the Toronto Raptors, 132 to 113. A very strong game from them. Uh, Again, OKC took an early lead and they had a a big lead late. They just kind of controlled the game throughout. For Toronto, uh, 20 points off the bench and 12 boards for Chris Boucher. Uh, Four starters and double figures. Malachi Flynn added 12 points off the bench as well. 
Meanwhile, for the Thunder, oh, wow, only two players that played did not score in double figures. Eight players with 10 or more points, uh, seven of those with 13 or more points, uh, including Eugene Omarui. Uh, he's a rookie. I know that much. And that's so his career high 22. Um, he was the high scorer for the thunder. Shea Gilgis Alexander with 20 points, three steals and a block continuing what he's doing defensively along with his offense. Of course, not as much offense as we've seen, uh, up to this point in the season, but regardless, big game from the thunder team as a whole. And they win at home against the Raptors. Uh, two more games from this slate. And then we have some games that are still finishing up tonight. Firstly, uh, the San Antonio Spurs win at home against the Milwaukee Bucks, 111 to 93. Uh, Taking a look at the game charts here. A little back and forth in the first, but again, Spurs take it over in the second quarter and end up winning this game. It looks like the Bucks might still be without Giannis's service uh, at this time. Again, not sure if that's uh, a large scale injury. some sort of a rest issue. We'll have to get some more information on that. Um, Javon Carter keeps playing very solid, 21 points. Uh, of course, he had the big game. I believe it was last time out or the time before. Uh, Brick Lopez, 19 points. Bobby Portis, 16 points and 12 boards. Uh, solid for those three guys. Not a great wealth of help outside of that, although Ibaka did have 11 points, nine boards off the bench. The Spurs, led by Keldon Johnson, he's become their sort of de facto star, uh, if, if you want to call him a star, certainly a leader of this team offensively, 29 points, uh, very efficient scoring. Devin Vassell adds 22 points as well, 14 boards off the bench for Charles Bassey. I think he might even be a two-way contract, so that's big for them. 10 boards for Pirtle in the starting lineup. Uh, Pirtle and... Sochan or Sokan, along with Doug McDermott, also score uh, 10 points each at least. Uh, let's see, Pirtle had 15. So uh, the Spurs able to win at home against the Bucks. Finally, a game that just barely wrapped up tonight's ESPN broadcast. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies won at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 114 to 103. Uh, checking out the box score here. Memphis controlled this game throughout uh, for Minnesota, 28 points for Anthony Edwards, of course, a starter at shooting guard. Great percentages for him there. Gobert, 15 points, six rebounds. Uh, okay numbers there. Carl Anthony Towns, 13 points, 10 rebounds. Okay numbers, I suppose, as well. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, poor game. He did have eight assists, but only four points. Not great shooting. Uh, meanwhile, for Memphis, it's the John Morant and Desmond Bain show. They combined for 52 points, 28 for John Morant, 24 for Desmond Bain. Morant adds 10 boards and eight assists along with two steals. Uh, Neither one shot particularly great percentages, but they both led the charge. 21 points for Dylan Brooks. Uh, Again, not the greatest percentages, but that team overall, even when they're having a little off night, it seems they were just a little bit better than uh, Minnesota was, as Minnesota still trying to find their their groove here early in the season. Regardless, Memphis wins that game, and that catches us up to date for now for tonight's games. Again, we still have two games going on, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers on the road against the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings on the road against the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Um, we'll keep a little bit up to date on those as we can. Uh, but that takes us through our game summaries. Next, let's jump to key news. We have a few items for you to talk about here. Um, firstly, LeBron uh, has leg muscle strain. He did miss uh, tonight's game that is currently still being played against the Sacramento Kings at home in Los Angeles. Uh, he'll miss at least that game, potentially the next game as well, which I think is Sunday for them. Um, again, a strain, no structural damage. Uh, so he should hopefully be back within the next uh, few games or so. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Cody Martin of the Hornets is out at least four weeks after uh, arthroscopic knee surgery. Um, it's a big depth piece for them. Um, that's a team that's been struggling a little bit, trying to find its rhythm as well. Um, so, again, we hope that he's able to recover from that surgery quickly and return to the floor. Uh, Nikola Vucevic has been fined $15,000 for uh, an obscene gesture, quote-unquote, uh, in their loss to the Pelicans at home in Chicago. Uh, if you want to know what he actually did, he flipped off a ref after he was called for a charge. Um, so, again, he's fined 15000 Kind of a funny moment, but, of course, it's understandable he gets fined for that. Uh, next, the Miami Heat are going to cut ties with FTX, uh, a company they'd recently uh, partnered with for naming rights on their arena. And I believe they were also the Jersey sponsor. Let me double check that real quick. I don't want to get that wrong. Um, no, they were not. UKG is still the, the Jersey sponsor for them right now, but they are the, the, the holders of the naming rights, uh, but that will be, ended it seems pretty soon uh let's see so i have the uh, espn release here i just need to get the specifics arena will be still technically uh will still technically be referred to as ftx arena for saturday's game uh but signage and the name will soon come down the reports about ftx and its affiliates are extremely disappointing uh quote unquote the county and team said in a joint statement uh, FTX, a cryptocurrency exchange, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection Friday after a steep fall in crypto prices left the company unable to cover accounts as customers rushed to withdraw funds. Interesting. So again, I didn't know much about FTX uh, when I heard that they were a cryptocurrency uh, banking related thing. Um, I personally, I, for anyone that is involved and potentially lost money, that's not great, but the cryptocurrency thing in general, I find both confusing and amusing simply because I don't understand how it works. And it seems like there's a lot of weird things surrounding the cryptocurrency stuff, you know, uh, NFTs, all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty young guy. I'm early, you know, mid twenties. I have no clue what cryptocurrency is, how it works. So for my kind of early boomer sensibilities, I think it's funny to see the crypto uh, struggles and to hear things are falling that way. But I don't feel happy that if there's people that are losing money, uh, of course, I don't want that. But regardless, uh, sticking to the original point, uh, so FTX will no longer be the naming rights holder for the Miami Heat Arena, uh, I guess will be seen what the name new name is. They might just go with Miami Heat Arena for the remainder of the season until they can 
close an official deal in the summer. Maybe they can get someone lined up pretty quickly. Who knows? We'll keep you updated on that. Um, since today is Veterans Day, um, there's a story on ESPN or on NBA.com. New look into hoops for troops. Uh, used to be annual hoops for troops week, um, I believe, but re- they have kind of modified that. This it seems more. It's now. Uh, let's see. What does it say? To, so this is from the NBA's article to emulate those in U.S. Armed Forces, veterans, and military families. Hoops for Troops Week is now a thing of the past. Instead, we're honoring those who fought for our country and its freedom year-round on and off the basketball court, uh, quote-unquote, from the NBA's article here. And so they show a lot of different things that the NBA teams are doing across the league to honor veterans. Uh, pretty great to see, again, um, you know, the, the sacrifices made there, of course, need to be honored. Uh, I think it's great to see. I imagine most teams are doing at least something, maybe some teams doing more than others, but everyone's doing something to uh, to honor and recognize veterans. So that's uh, great to see there. Finally, uh, well, not finally, second to finally, penultimate finally, um, the NBA announced officially, a lot of these had leaked already, but uh, some of them ha- are finally just being seen for the first time. But the NBA officially unveiled the uh, city league uniform or city edition uniforms for all of the teams in the NBA, except for the Utah jazz, for whatever reason, the Utah jazz, my team do not have a city Jersey. I'm curious if that's because they have the classic Jersey this year, even though other teams have classic jerseys that also have city jerseys. Of course, if you're unaware, uh, since Nike got the uh, uniform contract in 2017 for the 2017, 2018 season, they have modified the way uh, the league and fans kind of look at and think about uniforms. Uh, before that, the official structure was you have a home uniform, an away uniform, an alternate, and then maybe a couple of secondary alternates based on what Adidas did towards the end of their contract run. Uh, but since the, the Nike takeover, you have an association uniform, which is your white jersey, an icon uniform, which is your uh, base color jersey, typically your road uniforms. Um, and then your statement jersey is your kind of official alternate. The city jerseys are one-off or usually one-off uh, alternates, like a secondary alternate that changes every year or for the most part every year. Occasionally they do earned edition, which uh, are uniforms, extra uh, alternate uniforms given to teams that made the playoffs in the previous season. And there are also classic edition, which are the throwback uniforms. So that's six different qualifications, types, whatever you want to call it. Um, so regardless, these are the one-off uh, secondary alternates for all the teams, again, except for the Utah Jazz. Not sure why they didn't get one. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them. Some of them have already been in use, such as the uh, the Celtics city jersey, which honors Bill Russell and his legacy. Uh, great one to see there. Houston, it looks like, is going to rerun the jersey they had last year there. Um, uh, what, what was it called? 75th anniversary mixtape. Something in that, if you remember, last year's city jerseys were pretty much all themed around taking elements from the team's wide range of, you know, design elements. So for example, this Houston Jersey has the 
navy blue with the kind of jagged pinstripe from the uh, late 90s, early 2000s uniforms, combined with the Houston kind of diagonal script across the chest that you would have seen in the Kim Olajuwon and even Ralph Sampson era. So just taking multiple elements of the uniform. I believe the shorts also have that um, kind of uh, triangle, upward, whatever you want to call that, on the side of the shorts from the Yao Ming and some of the James Harden years. So combining different elements from their history. That was last year's. Uh, Houston, the only team to bring that back for another year. Um, now, just a quick side note. I care much more about uniforms than maybe the average fan and probably much more than any fan really should care. Um, I love to see all sorts of new uniforms. I get interested by, you know, a new release. Even I'm getting a little bit tired of this city uniforms thing. I mean, every year there's a handful of interesting designs, you know, the Minnesota one for as odd as it is, I think, you know, if there's a backstory, there's some potential. I think this Milwaukee one looks good. The blue alternate with that that side panel, it's pretty unique. Um, you know, this Detroit one, I haven't had a chance to look at the backstory. I think it's a bold choice to do something so different from the team's historic color scheme. Uh, green, like a dark forest green with a blue and a very uh, historic kind of look to it. I think that could be very cool. Um, the Warriors one is, of course, is very bold, very interesting with the flower at the bottom, not just a flower logo, but the the print of the jersey itself is like a full flower image. I think the Portland one's cool that, you know, having the the airport carpet, you know, as funny as it is, I think it's also kind of fun. Um, again, if these are one-offs, you know, why not do something like that? Uh, Washington's is kind of cool with the, the pink, the cherry blossoms. Memphis has an interesting one. It looks like, a, I think it's supposed to be like a, a kind of a blinged out like metallic uh, logo and numbers. It's quite unique. I think that's pretty cool. So there's a handful of interesting designs, but then there's also as many, if not double that are just forgettable and kind of repeats, you know, I mean, Brooklyn, it's repeating the uh, one that emulates that one artist, I think who's from Brooklyn, but doing a white Jersey instead of a black Jersey, same thing with that Miami Jersey. I guess they're technically redoing what they did last year, but a white one instead of a black jersey. Oh, it's it's a whole new thing. Not really. Um, the Lakers one just says Los Angeles in the Lakers font. It's a white jersey, purple and black. I, it's kind of forgettable. Um, you know, Sacramento, it's just a gray jersey. And I'll tech, given this jersey and the way it's structured is better than any current jersey they're wearing, but it's still forgettable. It's just a gray jersey. Same thing with the Thunder. A gray jersey with the same kind of script. Toronto, I'm getting real tired of the whole gold and black thing. It was really cool when they first did it. They've done some cool ways of it, but every year the same thing, but just slightly different. That gets really old. Dallas is meh. Cleveland is meh and a little bit confusing. Um, Chicago fine i guess the pacers i don't get and maybe if i knew some of the backstory it would maybe help but there's just so many of these that are forgettable you know and i think if they run this course for too much longer you're going to get to the point where almost all of the designs are forgettable because you're having to do a new design every single year and it's 
you know, you run out of ideas after a while, you know? I mean, Boston had some a purpose this year. Bill Russell's passed away. We need to honor him specifically. That's a purpose, right? Los Angeles at one point is supposed to be honoring a specific player every year. I'm not even sure they're doing that anymore. Um, anyways, I could go on with my Jersey rants, but I know that most, if not all people, do not care as much as I care about that subject. So we'll leave it at that. Again, it's a, on the official NBA website. Uh, it's on Nike's website, I'm sure. You can see all of the jerseys. I think plenty of teams have already worn their designs, and plenty more will be debuting those designs very soon. So that's a news uh, story to keep out an eye out for. Finally, real quick mention, uh, Joe Sy and Adam Silver defend Kyrie Irving, saying they do not believe he's anti-Semitic. Okay, that's our news. Um, next... This is the bulk of what we would have done on yesterday's show. We'll try and do a little bit quicker tonight. Um, but I mentioned I wanted to take time each week to talk about each specific franchise. I wasn't sure the order yet, but I want to talk about each specific franchise, both historically and in the current day. Um, we're going to do week by week a different franchise. Uh, the plan is Thursdays. We'll do this for tonight. We're going to go alphabetical by uh, a mascot or the, the team itself. So instead of Atlanta being first, for example, we have Philadelphia because the 76ers, the numeric, uh, comes first there. So it'll be 76ers, then the Bucks, and the Bulls, and so on. Simply because that's the way I'm used to organizing it the most. Makes sense for me. Um, so I apologize if you are a Wizards fan, Warriors fan, Trailblazers. Those are going to be some of the last that we talk about. But now we have an expectation. This week, the 76ers. Next week, the Bucks. Week after that, the Bulls. Okay. So the next while, we're talking all things 76ers. Firstly, the current franchise, how things are going, the direction going forward. Okay. Right now in the season, the 76ers are five and seven. Okay. Of course, going into the season, they were uh, a top you know, certainly in the conversation for top four, maybe top six, depending on who you ask, but top four to five in the Eastern Conference as far as, you know, potential playoffs and uh, certainly standings. Right now, I think they're ranked kind of low below that. They're ranked 11th in the East. I don't think that will hold up. You know, I think there's some teams overachieving right now, uh, such as the Indiana Pacers, potentially Brooklyn Nets, uh wizards maybe you're overachieving a little bit you know i think that philadelphia can rise up there um so that's something to keep an eye out for but they're five and seven right now um let's take a quick glance at their upcoming schedule so uh tomorrow 7 30 uh i think that's actually one of my key games but tomorrow they're going to be playing the atlanta hawks in philadelphia um so that'll be a game to uh, keep an eye on for the Sixers fans. Next, they take on the Utah Jazz. Um, I believe that's at home as well. Um, so that's the 13th. So they have a back to back Atlanta, then the Jazz. Then they have uh, several days off. Then they are a back to back again Milwaukee and then Minnesota. Then the Brooklyn Nets on the 22nd and Charlotte Hornets on the 23rd. Then on the 25th, uh, which might be Thanksgiving. Let me double check on this. 
day after Thanksgiving. Day after Thanksgiving, 25th, they'll play the Orlando Magic. So over their next seven games, they have Atlanta, Utah, Milwaukee. That's going to be a fairly tough stretch for them, those three games. Uh, Minnesota and Brooklyn will be more competitive, and then they have Charlotte and Orlando. So they have some – and they've already lost to Atlanta their last game out yesterday. So – they're in a, a tougher stretch these next couple of games, but then that will ease up. And if they can get some rhythm in these tough games, maybe they can, you know, start stringing together some more wins, rise back up in that win column in that those standings, and uh, make a push to be back in that playoff conversation. Uh, and I think with their talent, they're certainly capable of that. And despite conversations around Doc Rivers, I think he still is a solid coach and should be able to to help right the ship in this situation. Uh, Of course, in the last couple of years, they've always been a top contending team in the East. Uh, In 2020, I think they were, what, fifth or sixth in the East, not ultra great. Uh, In 2021, they were the first seed in that playoffs. Of course, that was the last year that they had Ben Simmons playing, and we all know what happened in the semifinals against Atlanta, the surprise team in that year's playoffs. Um, Ben Simmons had his kind of cold stretch. Of course, there's the infamous didn't take the wide open layup. And then there was the drama that following season, which resulted in the midseason trade uh, with the Brooklyn Nets for James Harden. Uh, So then in 2022, they were led by Harden in combination with Joel Embiid. Uh, They were top four seed again that year, but then lost in the semifinals again. So they've been a, a top you know, higher echelon team in the Eastern Conference, you know, always able to get a good seed in the playoffs. They they can win the first round series, but are trying to find that next step to, to get to a conference finals. Um, looking at the roster, you know, I think they've got plenty of talent to be able to do that. Uh, of course, Embiid is the, the lead guy. He's the one who's going to lead the charge here. Uh, the guy who's in the MVP conversation in the last couple of years, uh, and potentially maybe could have even won it. I think it was last year. Um, you know, so ultra physical, wide ranging skill set as a scorer, both in the paint, being able to stretch the floor just a little bit, um, rebounding, physicality, um, defensively solid, although not a great defensive player, but defensively solid, able to make some plays as far as passing when he needs to out of the post or things like that. Uh, and then, as mentioned, joined by James Harden, a guy who, you know, this was a lot of the questions in the offseason and for this team, uh, but also across the league. You know, what's going to happen with Harden? Will he stay with Philadelphia? Will he uh, be able to help them out, more importantly, if he stays? He did end up staying, and he took a little bit less money to be able to help them as far as building their roster. Um, and he also came back from the offseason looking like he's put a little bit more work in as far as his physique, his, uh, his health, his, uh, you know, athleticism as compared to previous off seasons. So far this season, uh, if we had to look at, uh, let's go ahead and pull their team up here on basketball reference. Uh, oh, and we also have an injury report here. Oh, I did see this. And why didn't I update the podcast with this? This is not great. Harden expected to miss at least a month with a strained foot. I might have said this in one of the news segments. Um, so, okay, Harden will miss some time, and that's definitely a, a tough blow for them. Looking at what he was doing up to that point, nine games, 22 points, 
10 assists, seven boards through that, through that stretch and decent percentages. You know, even if he's not scoring 30 plus points, like he was in Houston, I think the assists with solid scoring and the boards with the physicality, I think that's a winning recipe for uh, Philadelphia. And of course, Embiid is still doing his thing, just about 28 points, 10 boards, uh, and a block a game. Those two combined are, you know, that's filling up the stat sheet. They're being solid enough defensively to make things work. So then the question comes the roster around them. And I think Tyrese Maxey is a big part of it. Of course, he's a guy who broke out last year. He's continuing a solid run this year, 23 points a game, 41% from three, four assists, three and a half boards, you know, providing that scoring and that athleticism uh, in that backcourt. I think he's a great piece. Tobias Harris, who looks like he's starting to regress a little bit as he's getting a bit older and older. His percentages are still good. He's only averaging 15 points a game. Uh, 1.7 steals, though, so it looks like he's maybe doing a little bit more defensively. Uh, B.J. Tucker, of course, the other forward starting for them. He was one of the big offseason signings along with Daniel House. He's only averaging five points, four rebounds. Uh, And maybe that's one of the big question marks is that kind of bench scoring piece you know you have Embiid and Harden with Maxi, and that's your three scorers and that's great you know and Harris only providing 15 you'd maybe like to see 16 or 17 at least but he's still doing something offensively PJ Tucker he's not a scorer five points he's getting older I can't really fault PJ Tucker there in that sense he's more that physical guy who's switching on defense and doing those types of things but you would hope for, you know, like the Anthony Melton, for example, you'd hope for him to be a guy scoring maybe 13 or 14 off the bench. He's only averaging nine right now. Daniel House averaging four points. Montrez Harrell averaging four points, you know. I think that's one of the big question marks going forward is, you know, where do they get that help scoring? Are they really that cohesive as a team? Um, you know, there was a little bit of offseason shakeup, but they're carrying a lot of those same guys. Um, how about Seibel? You know, he's only averaging 10 minutes a game right now. He's a guy who's been in conversations for, you know, an all defensive team and the way he's played defensively. Um, you know, it seems like they, he can maybe help out. I know that's different from what we're talking about with the scoring, but this is a guy who can be productive off the bench, you know, and, and sometimes if you have a real good defensive guy that can help kind of help get your, your fast break started, you know, give you some transition opportunities. Um, I think that's one of the big questions that bench scoring piece, of course, they gave up Seth Curry in the trade uh, for James Harden. And that's a piece maybe that would def- you'd like to have to help out with this team. Um, and then of course, Harden and Embiid meshing. If Harden can stay healthy coming off of this recent injury and Embiid stays productive, I think if those two can get on the same page and both be motivated, I think Embiid is pretty much always motivated. If Harden's motivated, that's the big question, right? We've seen at times in the past, especially when he it was clear he didn't want to be in Houston anymore. When he's not ultra motivated, he'll still go out and he'll he'll put up some stats, but it's not really about winning, right? I think Harden can win when he's properly motivated. And that's why I was excited with him coming out of the off season because it looked like he had put the work in. Of course, being set back with an injury is not great. So, so those are really the two questions. Is this roster good enough to have the depth and can those guys kind of gel together? As far as expectations for what this team can do, 
that's a little bit more shaky in the sense that I think going forward in those next stretch of games with Harden still out, but uh, Embiid and Maxi playing, I think they can at least go 500 in that stretch. Uh, maybe even, you know, across seven games, maybe they go four and three. I think that would be at least solid and it would keep them in that same spot. If not, maybe jump a couple of spots. If some teams start to fall um, as short-term expectations, long-term, if Harden's able to come back uh, from that injury, get reacclimated, get into the, the groove of things. They don't have too many other injury concerns. I expect them to be within that top six. You know, again, it's not the greatest start five and seven, but I think they have that talent. I think Doc Rivers, although I understand the uh, concern from the fans as far as wanting him to maybe be finished up as a coach, I think he can still get it done as far as the team playing cohesively. And I, my expectation is for the Sixers to be in that top six group going into the playoffs. How well they do in the playoffs entirely depends on those question marks. The team around the two stars – their depth and their scoring, especially off the bench, as well as Harden's ability to focus on winning, to be motivated, and to work well with Embiid. So that's current Sixers, kind of the picture and what to look at going forward. The next part of this is a little bit more of a historical outlook and more just some fun things to to chat about, especially for me, someone who's avid about NBA history. You know, I love watching current games and getting up to date on the current stuff. But I actually love even more looking back and trying to learn about players who, who played in the past teams that played things like that. So for this segment, every Thursday, again, this will be the kind of franchise day. So we'll take a random quote unquote random. I picked them for a reason, random historic team from that franchise's history to look about, look at as well as, a uh, player, a historic, legendary player from that franchise's history to look at and talk about. So the first half of this, a random team. The team I've picked that I think is interesting to talk about, uh, the 1989 to 1990 Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, when I say that, first, off the top of your head, basketball historians, name that comes to mind. If you said Charles Barkley, you're right. Uh, of course, that was my first thought when I was looking at the list of potential teams. Um, oh, late 80s, early 90s, that's Charles Barkley, right? And absolutely, that is the case. He uh, by far led the team, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. Um, looking at this team, you know, the big picture stuff, their record that season, 53-29. and 29. Uh, Great record that season. Let's go ahead and double check. Uh, where was that standing-wise? across the wet or the east rather so that was the third best record in the eastern conference behind the detroit pistons and the chicago bulls of course detroit won the championship that year um so that makes sense uh they went back to back as champions um so in the playoffs so 53 and 29 they were first in the atlantic division in the playoffs they won their first eastern their eastern conference first round uh three games to two versus the cleveland cavaliers but then lost in the Eastern Conference semifinals, uh, one to four to uh, you guessed it, the Chicago Bulls. Um, of course, the Bulls did lose to the Pistons in the conference finals. Uh, but the next year, the Bulls would win their first championship and go on their merry way 
uh, with Michael Jordan. But again, I thought it was an interesting team to to kind of highlight. Thought it was cool. Um, their attendance actually wasn't that great as far as comparing it to the rest of the NBA. Nineteenth of twenty seven. They played in the Spectrum. Still, probably one of the all time, you know, more historically important and interesting arenas in NBA history. Their coach was Jim Lynam, who I have to be completely honest, I have never heard of before. But again, I'm I'm still learning a lot of these guys, and I think it's cool to highlight these guys. His coaching record, uh, assistant in Portland, head coach with the San Diego slash Los Angeles Clippers. They were bad because they were the Clippers. He was an assistant in Philly, took over in 88, and was with the team these three straight years. This was the second of three years they would make the playoffs consecutively and have an above 500 winning percentage. This year they were uh, 64, nearly 65% winning percentage. So pretty good. Um, team fell off a bit. He went to Washington to coach the Bullets for three years. Team got better his second year. Uh, and then they were kind of treading water. Maybe he got fired in the 1997 season. And then he was an assistant the rest of his career with New Jersey, Portland, and Philadelphia again. So interesting. He was the coach of the month in this season that we're talking about with the Sixers, uh, coach of the month for January. Um, yeah, so that's the coach, executive John Nash. Uh, let's look at John Nash here. Oh, we could read all about the different trades he's made. I'm sure there's plenty of juicy information we could look at, but not enough time to kind of summarize that. Uh, points per game, they were 7th of 27 in the league. Opponent points per game, 8th of 27. So they were pretty balanced, both ends of the floor, towards the top of the NBA in that sense. Offensive rating, they were 2nd in the NBA. Defensive rating, 16th. So maybe a little bit more offensively balanced. Um, so... Let's talk about the roster. That's maybe a little bit more exciting. Of course, Barkley's the guy who leads the charge here. Leading scorer, leading rebounder, um, 25 points, 11 and a half boards, four assists, two steals, and half a block. Of course, three-point percentage is not great, but no one, you know, outside of a few guys were really great three-point shooters, and no one really tried many. I mean, the leading attempts guy on this team was Hershey Hawkins, Two and a half threes attempted a game, 42%. I mean, he's he's one of the few guys that's like, okay, he can shoot a three. He was the second leading scorer, 18 points a game. Uh, the starting shooting guard, the point guard, Johnny Dawkins, the Duke guy, 14 points, seven assists, uh, one and a half steals. Hawkins also had about one and a half steals. Uh, the starting bigs for this team, Mike Jaminski and Rick Mahorn. Uh, Mahorn, of course, famous for his uh, – Pistons run and his, uh, you know, bad boy uh, teams there. And Jaminski was solid with the Nets. That's what I know about Mike Jaminski. Yeah, I think he's still in there for kind of franchise records for, you know, top 10 total boards and things like that. Um, off the bench, there's not a ton to talk about. Ron Anderson is their, I guess, de facto six man. Um an okay-ish scorer off the bench as a forward. Uh, Derek Smith and Jay Vincent. Scotty Brooks, of course, uh, former coach of the Thunder. Scott Brooks there. Bob Thornton, Corey Gaines. Yeah, there's a lot of names that you probably would not uh, know or care to know. 
but regardless, it's just interesting because that was one of their better teams. Probably doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of games they won pretty big. I mean, good amount of 20-point, 30-point victories. Philly beat Cleveland on November 29th, 114-84. They beat Dallas, 104-79. Like, they've had, you know, they were, when they were rolling, they were really rolling, you know. Um, Let's see. Roster and stats. I'm curious, like, game highs, what, uh, you know, Charles Barkley was probably had some pretty crazy games in this season. Um. If we look game logs, 1990. Yeah. So in this season, he had 25 games of 30, uh, 30 plus points, 36 games of 20, uh, 20 plus points or 20 to 29 points. He had four games of 20 or more rebounds, uh, 17 games of between 15 and 19 rebounds. Um, seven games of five plus steals you know just unbelievable stats here let's see if we can find like this game against san antonio five steals and a block with 13 boards what was his most steals he had seven steals against cleveland uh 21 points as well in that game how about this stat line 26 points, 22 boards, four steals. I mean, and again, with Charles Barkley, he's kind of eternally underrated simply because people know him as, uh, you know, uh, Sir Charles or Chuck from the TNT crew, right? But people forget how he might have been a little bit heftier for his size, a little bit more thickly built, but he was athletic. He was pretty quick and he was like a Zion Williamson, you know, in the sense that he was undersized, but big athletic, fast, ran the floor, you know, defensively rebounding. I mean, he just did all those things, such a unique player. And I think he always gets underrated. He's not the legend we're talking about, but with this team, that's kind of what you have to talk about. Right. Um, First, we can look uh, schedule. So they had some some solid win streaks. They had a win streak of eight games at one point. Uh, oh, this was a good one. They had a win streak of twelve games at one point. I mean, when they were rolling, they were really rolling. And overall, they were a pretty great team. Again, they beat the Cavs. Um, all three games they won were at home, which is potentially a sign for them in the Bulls series. Um, the only game they won in the Bulls series was at home. Uh, let's look at the box score for that game. Geez, Jordan had 49 points. Uh, Barkley, 34 points and 20 boards with eight assists in that playoff win against uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh, of course, the Bulls were just a better team, and they were about to become a dynasty. Uh, but that kind of takes us through the random historic team. I think it's fun, hopefully fun for you guys, at least fun for me uh, to talk about, you know, teams and things like that. Finally, let's kind of get moving towards the end of the show. This is going to be a longer show. Uh, talking about our franchise legend and tonight's legend for the sex, the Philadelphia 76ers is Hal Greer. Okay. Hal Greer is a name you've maybe heard. 
but don't know a lot about High Gear Guerrier, as uh, I guess that was maybe a nickname he had. So let's sit here on basketball reference. We're talking about a NBA 50th anniversary team member, one of the 50th, 50 greatest players in NBA history. Also on the 75th anniversary team, one of the 75 greatest players in NBA history. Uh, Hall of Famer. Looking at his, his general resume, a 10-time All-Star, a 7-time All-NBA player. He was MVP of the 1968 All-Star Game. And in 1967, the year prior, he won a championship with the 76ers alongside Wilt Chamberlain and Billy Cunningham. Uh, shooting guard and point guard, uh, 6'2", mainly a shooting guard, mainly a scorer. You look at his uh, career, he was drafted by the Syracuse Nationals. If you're not aware, that was what the 76ers franchise was before they moved to Philadelphia. They were the Syracuse Nationals. He was drafted there, played his first five seasons with uh, them as they were in Syracuse, made his first All-Star team in 61. Um, Was averaging close to 20 points a game at that time. Then, after his fifth season, the team moved to Philadelphia and took on the moniker of the 76ers. Uh, It was that point where he had his career high in scoring up to that point, 23.3 points per game, along with six rebounds and five assists on, for the time, pretty good percentages, 44% from the floor, uh, 82% from the free throw line. Of course, his uh, championship run with the team came in 1967. Uh, again, Wilt Chamberlain and uh, Billy Cunningham are maybe the more recognized members of those of that team in the sense that they, um, you know, of course, Wilt is Wilt and he's always legendary. 24 points, 24 boards in that season. Billy Cunningham recognized one of the all-time greats in the 76ers history. Um, but I, it's interesting to note that on that team, Hal Greer was actually the leading scorer in the playoffs, including the finals. Um, so, you, you know, it's hard to uh, overstate his importance for that team, much less his importance in the Sixers uh, franchise history. Um, so they win the championship in 67. The next year, the year he won the All-Star MVP, that was his best statistical season scoring-wise, 24 points a game. Um Again, I know that doesn't sound like much. And in this era, in the 60s, early 60s especially, there were players who were averaging 50 points a game. But still, generally speaking, for the 60s and the late 60s, 24 points a game would probably be a little more comparable to like 27 or 28 points per game as far as the pace and the style of play, the expected you know percentages players were shooting. That was also his career high in field goal percentage, uh, just under 48% from the floor that season. Finished his career averaging 19 points a game. He played until 1973. Um, And overall, just a fantastic career. Uh, In 1976, he was the first player to have his number retired by the 76ers franchise and organization. Um, He was also noted for his unique free throw shooting. Um, In that time, of course, um, Sorry, just blanking for a second. In that time, of course, uh, Rick Barry, probably the most notable for an interesting free throw with uh, the underhand, granny shot, whatever you want to call it, free throw. Uh, Hal Greer, a little bit less bizarre, but still unique in the sense that instead of 
shooting flat-footed from the free throw line, he would take a jump shot from the free throw line. Uh, There was one legend who was talking about it in a video. He said that uh, he believed shooting a jump shot from the free throw line, that would help him practice his his field goal shooting and, and vice versa. You know, his field goal shooting helped him practice his free throw shooting. And that's probably his biggest legacy as far as his style of play is his uh, lethal shooting as a mid-range shooter. You know, anywhere near the free throw line, uh, just outside the paint, that kind of area, you look up his highlights, that's nine out of ten shots he makes. Uh, and those shots aren't bank shots either. Those are pure, you know, right through the hoop swishes. I mean, he was a pretty uh, pretty spot-on jump shooter, and but he was also able to play a team game and lead a team with players like Wilt and Billy Cunningham to a championship. Um, again, his number was retired. Uh, he was inducted in the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1982. Uh, in this last year, he was also honored at Marshall University, his alma mater, with the dedication of a bronze statue created in his likeness and an unveiling ceremony of the statue with many of his family members uh, in attendance. Uh, so side, quick side note from Wikipedia there. Um, again, just a great player. One last note on him. You look at the 76ers career leaders in general statistics, and you're talking about total games played, minutes played, field goals, field goal attempts, two-point field goals, two-point field goal attempts, field goals missed. Uh, he leads all of those categories, and most of them he leads by a pretty healthy margin. Um, on free throws and free throw attempts, he's third, um, which just goes to show you. I mean, he leads – I think he leads – yeah, he also leads the team in total points, uh, personal fouls as well. But, you know, you have a guy – who leads the lead, the franchise in total points, but is only third on free throws. Um, didn't have to do it all at the free throw line. He only averaged five or six free throw attempts a game. He was just, you know, a great score from the floor uh, along with some free throw shooting, but overall a great, you know, underrated player as a legend, people should be talking more about him. Um, but regardless, that takes care of our franchise legend profile for tonight. Okay, our second to last segment, uh, our main segment, uh, the last main segment before we do our final kind of wrap up with our this day in history fact, we'll give you some game previews for this weekend to help you kind of plan your weekend as far as uh, what games to keep an eye out for. Uh, the times listed are going to be in Eastern Standard Time, so keep that in mind. Firstly, Saturday's uh, program is going to be an eight-game slate. At 4 o'clock on League Pass, uh, early game on that uh, day, the Brooklyn Nets will be visiting the Los Ange- or the L.A. Clippers uh, in L.A. Um, it'll be interesting to see that, the matchup between Durant and Paul George, two forwards who have been leading their team offensively and helping elevate the team. Teams that have had some high expectations and, in the Clippers' case, are dealing with some injury issues still with Kawhi Leonard. In the Nets' case, dealing with some inner and outside turmoil. Both of those players, Durant and George, kind of help push their teams above that and still be winning in at least some sense in recent uh, the recent week or two of NBA action. It'll be interesting to see those two match up early on League Pass. 
Then at 7.30 on League Pass, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are at the 76ers. Uh, the Hawks won their last game against the 76ers, which was just yesterday on Thursday. So we'll see if the Hawks can do it again and keep uh, kind of pouring salt in the wound for the Sixers. Of course, they beat the Sixers uh, just a couple years back in the playoffs with that great series from Trey Young and the whole Ben Simmons drama. Can the Hawks kind of push the knife further in? Or can the Sixers, uh, you know, get back, neutralize the the previous game and start building up that momentum that we kind of talked about in the uh, the franchise direction segment? So that's the next game to watch out for. Uh, finally, the last game, uh, I think I think the latest game on that slate and the only one that will be, uh, you know, just normal kind of cable access, 8.30 on NBA TV. The Houston Rockets will be visiting the New Orleans Pelicans. Um you would expect the Pelicans probably to be the stronger team there. Uh, but Houston, of course, has some young talent to keep an eye out for. Of course, there's always Jalen Green, who's capable of being a high scorer. Jabari Smith Jr., the three number three overall pick, see if he can start to find that momentum, maybe have a solid game of his own, uh, versus the Pelicans, who are starting to refine their groove with Zion, of course, back from injury, joined by Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, and that whole cast of characters. Then Sunday, Sunday is the seven-game slate. Uh, we have three games to talk about as well. Firstly, at 12 o'clock noon uh, on League Pass, so a very early game for you. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder are in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Um, Thunder have slipped a little bit lately. Knicks are gelling well as far as their big three with, uh, the, with Brunson, Barrett, and Randall. However, the team overall is trying to find that depth and that production outside of those three as far as winning games. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if the Knicks can hold court in Madison Square Garden. Also, we have SGA at MSG. Jay Gilgis-Alexander has been a bit, you know, the big story for the Thunder as far as his scoring production and his statistical production, especially defensively. Um, Maybe an early candidate for most improved player. So that'll be interesting to see what he can do in the world's uh, most famous arena, versus the Knicks trying to find some stronger footing. Next at the second of three games to talk about, 8 o'clock on League Pass, uh, the Denver Nuggets are visiting the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Of course, for Denver, it's Nikola Jokic leading the charge. Uh, Can they get back in the win column after a loss? uh, What was it, tonight they lost? Yes, they lost to the uh, Boston Celtics. Can they get back in the win column? Uh, against Chicago Bulls, can the Bulls start to piece more wins together rather than being a little bit, you know, win here, a loss there, kind of, uh, you know, shaky and around that 500? Can the Bulls start to get that momentum going? Finally, the late game on that slate, 9.30 on NBA TV, we have the Brooklyn Nets at the Los Angeles Lakers. The matchup that many thought would be the championship matchup before the start of last season of course, both teams are in very different situations. You expect the Nets to be the stronger team in this situation, again, led by Kevin Durant, perhaps with Kyrie Irving back. Uh, I'm not sure how long that suspension you know, still has to run. He might still be out for that game. Meanwhile, the Lakers, will LeBron be back for that game? Will he still be out with a leg injury? Will the, With or without him, will the team be able to respond at home and start piecing together wins that they desperately need, even though it's still early in the season. Uh, So those are three games on both Saturday and Sunday, six total games. 
to pay attention to and look out for this weekend as you're planning your weekend. Uh, and of course we'll be back uh, Monday. We'll talk about some of Monday's games that day and give you the, the next week's preview of games. Finally, as I'm losing my voice, you maybe heard a voice crack earlier. We'll close off the show again, a longer show. I apologize. We had to get caught up on yesterday's programming as well as today with game summaries. We had a couple segments that we could have done that are supposed to be normally our programming for Friday. Uh, we'll have to push those next Friday. Uh, regardless, our This Day in History fact for uh, November 11th. This one goes back to 1993, a little more recent history. Uh, the New Jersey Nets retired the number three jersey worn by the late Drazen Petrovic prior to a game at the Meadowlands Arena with Indiana, uh, or a game versus the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Drazen Petrovic, of course, was killed in an auto accident in Germany on June 7th of 1993. Um, so during the offseason before this season that this happened. On hand for the ceremony were NBA Commissioner David J. Stern, Petrovic's former Croatian teammates, Dino Raja and uh, Stojko Vradkovic, his father, Joel, mother, Besirka, and brother, Alexander, uh, were all there for that ceremony for his jersey retirement as well. Um, if you want to talk about NBA history, that's a story that also gets forgotten. Every once in a while, people remember how great of a shooter he was and a great player and scorer, um, but it's you know, the sadder side of it is tougher to remember uh, simply the fact that he was uh, taken from us at such a young age. It would have been incredible to see what he could have accomplished if he were given the chance to play a full career and um, <clears throat> maybe add his name to the history books and, you know, be Dirk before Dirk in the sense of an international player with incredible scoring prowess and ability as well as production as far as you know, what he could have done with a full career. Um, but again, just great to at least remember him uh, and what he meant to the New Jersey Nets as well as the league. With that, my voice is just about gone, but that takes us through everything for this show. Uh, if you're still with me at this point, thank you for listening to the whole show. Even if you listen to just, listen to just part, part of the show, thank you for listening to that. We'll be back on Monday with our normal uh, Monday schedule. Of course, summarizing the games from the weekend, previewing what's going to come up uh, for that next weekday action. Uh, the key news, talk through our power rankings, where teams stand after week four. Uh, name our week four MVP as well. And of course, I'll be joined by my good friend Wyatt for that show. With that, I uh, thank you for listening again. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you on Monday.